Greetings and salutations, my cultists. It is I, your grand leader, Matt, and co-grand leader, Lucas here, for another episode of COP! Coming at oh you, yeah! Coming at you fast, coming at you hard. COP coming at you! COP! Boom! We're in- we're introducing a new dynamic formula to the show where we shout a lot more. We're introducing a new formula where fuzzy peaches the whole show. Uh, we're introducing a new formula where that my connection's really bad, so I might cut out a bunch of the time, and I don't really know what to do to fix it. If you listen to the last podcast and you could hear where I masterfully cut out. The bullshit where Matt disconnected for eight minutes. That's not my fault. I will send you one fuzzy peach in the mail, and that's a guarantee. I don't. How are you in the mail? Yeah, that's not. Yeah, that's not gonna fly at this current state in history. Me sending a fuzzy peach. Yeah, I'd like to see them try. Well, like the Canada Post. This is an open. This is an open forum to Canada Post. You will feel my wrath. You know it's funny because Lucas hates Canada Post so bad. But without Canada Post, if they just stopped working today, Lucas's life would fall apart. <laughs> this is the funniest thing about his relationship with the mail is that he's like a battered housewife. <laughs> he can't stop going back, but you know he he still complains. They will feel my vengeance. What are we talking about today? I don't know. What do you want to talk about? Oh, we just pick anything? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's do Star Trek 09. Alright, so Star Trek 09, it was what it was. I'll say that. Good now, movie. Was it a good movie? Who's to say? Not me. I don't well, let's see, what, let's see what Roger Ebert says. Oh, uh, Roger Ebert said, ooh, I'm dead. Oh, look, and he gave it uh, two and a half stars. Yeah, based Ebert. Shit. You know what? J. J. Ebert, Ebert got things wrong sometimes. He got things wrong. But, you know, he gave motion picture three stars out of four. So, I, you know, how reliable is this guy, really? My goal in life is to have a Wikipedia page and the picture of me from my Wikipedia page be a picture taken from a Comic-Con of me mid-sentence smiling. That's my goal. I think when you go to Comic-Con, those fo- those photographers, they do you well. Okay, Have you ever seen one of those pictures where they look bad? They look good. And the a bunch of nerds ask me a question about the upcoming Star Wars, and I say something really vague, like, it'll be good. But positive, so then you still get those woos! You know how it be. They'll ask me a very direct question, and I'll give an answer like, you'll just have to wait and see. And everyone in the crowd goes, yeah, yeah, yeah! New Star oh, Wars. Let's go! Did you see that the director of uh, Thor Ragnarok is doing the next Star Wars? Yes, I did. Um, it's still going to be a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't really... I Taika Waititi, I've seen, what, two of his films, and I liked one of them. Uh, I didn't see Jojo Rabbit yet, even though I wanted to. But I what, saw we, it. what we do in the shadows, it really did not speak to me. I understand that it's a very dry sort of humor, but it just like about an hour in, I was I just kind of gave up on me enjoying the film. So I don't know. I'll check out Hunt for the Wilder People, though. I think it's on Netflix. It looks cool. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had a Fuzzy Peach before? Yeah, I have. Maynard's, right? Yeah, Maynard's. Yeah. What do you think about them? You know what? Um, if I have to give Fuzzy Peaches bags, they're they're probably like a th- three bagger, and the reason is because you know what? You go to Bulk Barn and you get the the peach, the generic peach snack. Um, that shit is heavenly compared to Fuzzy Peaches. I don't know Fuzzy Peach Maynard's. I'm not a huge fan. 
of the brand, you know, Swedish mm-hmm. fish. That shit is gross. And yeah, nobody that. cares. Nobody cares. Sour Patch, those are okay. Shut I up. I just, uh, all right. Nobody asked. I was going to give my review. Well, we're not reviewing Maynards. Well, you asked me to. I didn't. You know what? And more importantly than Waititi directing uh, Star Wars, he's going to be doing an adaptation of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory for Netflix. I yeah. can't wait. A third one. Wow. Well, it might, it'll be an animated series this time. So kind of different, kind of spicing it up. Classic I'm going to say this. I'm going to open a forum on this podcast as well. Uh, this goes out to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Fuck you. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you can say fuck you, but everyone still loves the book. Everyone still loves the movie. Doesn't Nobody really reads matter. books. Well, they used to. And now they... Name one book ever. I'll wait. Well, you, you got me on that front. It's, you know, if you put me on the spot like that, then it's hard. Yeah. But, you know, otherwise it's, you know, I can find Name something. Name a book. Uh, 120 Days of Sodom. Never heard of it. Try again. Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. That's a movie. Next. No. Well, yes. And I'd like to make the distinction that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is the quality Gene Wilder film. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the title of the Roald Dahl book and of the crappy Johnny Depp one where Johnny Depp looks like a girl. Um, and that movie sucks. And I hate Freddie Highmore. The Thinking Man Gene Wilder flick is Young Frankenstein. That, sure. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Fuck it, you win. You win this round, buddy. Yeah. What are we talking about today? Alright, so it's Sci-Fi Month. Uh, this is part two of Sci-Fi Month here at COP. Mm-hmm. So we're reviewing um, Barbarella. Barbarella. Which is a sci-fi film from 68. It's based on a French comic. Um, so I guess this is our first comic movie. Uh, and you're, you are our comic guy. Yeah. Have you read the comic? I haven't. Um, I have read another French... A comic though and they made okay. a mo- and they made a movie about it uh i want to say it's like four years ago and it was pretty shit but it's if you guys know valerie and laura lynn it's from this guy named pierre christin i thought it was going to be like that where that's a quality space adventure i don't know what the comic of barbarella is like but this this was for the most part softcore porno um and i was really disappointed by it because for some reason i thought this was gonna be a hidden gem and i made a big mistake but there's some decent this is strike two what's strike one i'll just pick any movie you've chosen so far i picked uh i picked um rathacon nope try again i did Oh come on! I picked uh, I picked uh, you know, Office Space. That was a good one. Fine. Anyway, so if you guys want a quick rundown of the plot, um, it's actually pretty bare bones in this instance, so I won't go into too much detail. Basically, in the future, there's this space adventure from Earth named Barbarella, and she's tasked by the president of Earth to retrieve a scientist named Doctor Duran Durand. From the Tau Ceti planetary system. Um, at the end of the day, uh, she basically accomplishes this goal. It's something that we'll t- I'll talk about later for sure is that Barbarella in this film does not have a ton of agency. She kind of just kind of bounces from situation to situation. But regardless, she goes. She meets a few people, um, has sex with at least three of them. Um, and then finds out that Duran Duran is an evil scientist on a different planet. Uh, he destroys his planet and himself, and Barbarella and Co. fly away. Lucas, tell me what you think about this movie. This may shock you, okay. but I like this movie a little bit. 
Okay, you know what I I was well. I mean, I liked it a little bit too, um, but mostly did not like it. Let's hear why. What's I? I have to take it slow because the reasons why I like this movie differ from kind of like third to third, and I I want to make it clear so I don't seem like I'm contradicting myself. So there are some things in this movie that like I'll like in one third of the movie and things that I'll dislike in another third. So I'll just start with the first, the first bit of the movie. I really like the first, I I don't know if you'd call this a third or a quarter, but from the opening scene of the movie to the ice section of the planet, I like, um, and I really like the opening shot of this movie quite a bit. I love the title scroll, not just because in this scroll she undresses, but I really like it because the music hits and I like how like the words kind of flow onto it. it it's really pretty and it sets up this kind of, you know, sexy sci-fi film. Um, and her, the, the design for her ship is so funny. Like, it's just covered in shag carpet and um like there's just this thing in the background this wall panel that just has all these like spinning segments on it that seem completely useless and it's whirling and beeping it's just like classic 60s sci-fi reminded me of like all little noises that star trek would have um that's all great uh and then we meet the president of the united earth i think it was like the united you know federation and or the or the United what was the planet called in Futurama? The Earth. Yeah, wasn't it called like the United States of Earth or something? What was it? Let me look it up here. Uh, Earth and Futurama. Well, it says it's just called Earth. Uh, um, I swear it was called something else. Because they have because Richard Nixon is president of Earth, right? Oh, right, he's just president of Earth. Okay, whatever. Um, anyways, I love all that. And then we meet the president. I'm pretty sure in this movie it's like the United Earth or something. And their greeting is just them putting up their hand and saying love. Um, and then she's naked. And then she's like, oh, let me put on clothes. And he's like, oh, don't bother. It was, just, Which was just so funny. And we get all like the true sci-fi stuff in the first third of the movie, I think. Like he beams for lack of a better word, he just beams over weapons and, you know, something else to her ship. Um, one thing that was really dumb was when she's traveling to this planet to find Duran Duran, like, this, how they portrayed space was really dumb. Like, yes. I, had, I had no idea what I was looking at. It just looks like water flowing and then just, like, lines. Like, they tried to do the trippy... 2001 shit but it just looked really dumb and I like I'm pretty sure even Barbarella wasn't sure what she was looking at it made no sense yeah um so at the beginning of the movie I really liked how they were setting up kind of this unapologetically kind of sexy icon character in space which was like classic 60s and 70s camp sci-fi of like just a woman in a skirt in space or something like that but they did it kind of like wholeheartedly which i liked um but as a movie went on the writing to me got lazier and lazier <laughs> yes yeah i was hearing the word pygar uh 45 fucking times not even it. a good name Pygar. I was thinking to myself at one point, man, if you made a drinking game out of this, you would die if you took a shot every time Barbarella said Pygar. And then they said it 70 more times on top of that after I had that initial thought. And I just wanted to die every time they said the word Pygar. Better, a better one would be take a double shot every time you hear Duran Duran. You could probably yeah. work through that. Yeah. M maybe. Um, I totally agree with you because the first scene of this movie, I would say like the first five minutes are so promising to me yeah. because I, 
and and I think this is the general consensus from critics at the time and now is that the opening sequence is great. I really love how it just presents a person in a spacesuit, and the first thing that she takes off is her gloves, and is there you see her kind of manicured hand and. She folds them together, and that's where you kind of see that this is sort of supposed to be sci-fi, but with a feminine twist. And then mm-hmm. the opening song comes in. I'll have to say, I do like some of the um, music in this. They mm-hmm. had a band, they had a psychedelic band come in. The psychedelic band names escape me. I'm going to look it up now. Um, but they had them do the vocals. It was, um, it was, shoot, sorry, just give me a second. Bob, the Bob Crew brand does the orchestral score, and then, oh my god, where is it? Sorry, just give me a second. The band is called, uh, I don't know, it escapes me right now. But anyway, um, and they, and it, there's like some clever lyricism in the theme song. It's like a classic, uh, yeah, like sort of 60s on the nose theme song. And mm-hmm. that whole sequence is fun. It is even nice as like, as it just alludes to the kind of freedom and like, I guess sort of the hippie free love sexuality where she takes her clothes off and it's not a big deal. And I also did mm-hmm. like when, when she's standing in front of the projector naked uh, and their sign is love. And again, yeah, with the shag carpet, especially, which is the, the big touch there, it's the, the ugliest shade of brown ever. I can't, <laughs> believe, I can't believe people put shag carpet in their houses. I cannot believe it. I it's cool. It. It's cool. I, I, think I, I think technically the carpet I have up there is a shag. Oops. Sorry if that was loud. But, um, yeah, the movie really takes a dive after that. This is the thing, and I know this isn't a fair comparison, but it was in doing research in this film, it was pointed out to me that this movie came out in the same year as 2001 A Space Odyssey and Planet of the Apes, and it had a comparable budget. In fact, it had like double the budget of Planet of the Apes. And this movie basically doesn't present any interesting idea science fiction wise. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of the science fiction that you would expect from a crappy pulp comic book where mm-hmm. they, guess, they just kind of throw elements of whatever together and say positron and solar beam and magnetic storm and think okay. that that's how sci-fi operates. The script in this is pretty bad. I don't know if you'll agree with me on this. Um, this storyline is, is rather uncompelling. At any given point, like in the plot line, Barbarella is doing something and whatever that something is has a vague connection to something else that'll then have a connection to her finding Duran Duran. And I think Mm -hmm. we should point out that yes, the band Duran Duran did take their name from the scientists in this movie. Mm. Um, But they are Duran Duran, no D at the end of both Durans. So that's an important Mm. note. Yeah. Okay. Um, Barbarella is the main character in this film, correct? Yep. She's maybe the worst character in this movie. I disagree. Of the major characters, I think she's definitely she's the worst. And this is uh, why. That's interesting. And here's why I say this. Number one, as I kind of I maybe this was too much for me to expect, but I kind of expected her to do things in the movie. Um a lot of the movies, her getting captured and then attacked and tied up, and then somebody else comes to save her, or she wakes up. Um, her dialogue is really annoying. She has mm-hmm. she has this tick. Um, she's like Solid Snake in the first Metal Gear Solid game, where somebody will say something and she'll say it as a question. <laughs> like, and it's it, the first time that happens. I thought it was funny, and then it, it continues throughout the film. As an example. Um, the president of Earth tells her that this location of Duran Duran is secret, and she says, a secret? (laughs) And she does that for the rest of the film. She kind of just acts like a confused, like, little kid for the entirety of the movie, and it's so annoying because, like, of all the characters in the film, she's, like, the least interesting. She basically has no personality. I just really think it was, like, there was a really poor decision 
made on how to handle her character. I don't know if it's what it's like in the comic. I don't really care. But uh, I think Barbarella is the worst part of Barbarella. That's interesting. I, I think she was the best, and I found everyone else really boring in comparison. Like, Pygar does nothing. He just stares blankly. I know he's supposed to be blind, but he just stares blankly, and then he he uh, talks like uh, <laughs> this the whole movie. <laughs> and then she meets, eventually she meets the queen of the place, and uh, every time the queen spoke, I wanted to just put a screwdriver in my ear like that zombie from Dawn of the Dead. You know what? Um, it's it's funny that you say that, and I guess this is just this is a big part where we defer because I really like the delivery of her lines. The queen? Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> she. It's hard to. It's. I don't even want to try to replicate it. But look up a clip if you can. Probably the my best. Pretty, pretty. Yeah, um, and I first of all, I like uh, her introduction in the film, which is once they reach the city of Sogo, Barbarella and Pygar, um, which is where Duran Duran is presumably hiding, um, she's seemingly, she's attacked in what is the equivalent in the strange world as a back alley by two men who look like they're going to assault her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're killed by this character that... Um, kind of looks like one of the new gods, one of Jack Kirby's new gods named Spinarella. Um, mm. She just has an eye patch and knives. And she says, you're very pretty, pretty. <laughs> and then Barbara's like, oh, I gotta go. I like that class. I always like that classic trope of the, the king or queen going down as a commoner in the land. Uh, maybe that's why I like Aladdin more than you do too. But um, no, I, I thought her delivery of her lines was like campy, obviously, but it's so entertaining. I wish she was the protagonist of the film instead. I thought she made a nice visual contrast to Barbarella too because she's evil and she has the dark hair and dark garb and Barbarella mm-hmm. is usually wearing like a bright outfit and she has her poofy blonde hair. Um, and I almost wanted, and especially in the end when they escape together with Pygar, it almost made me wish that they, the both of them were kind of the co-stars of this film. I think they would have been fun chemistry in a regard. But I think it's hilarious that you hated how she spoke. And that was like, I just, I loved her like weird inflection. I don't really know how to describe the accent. It's not even an accent. It's just, it's just sort of a melodramatic way of speaking, I guess. Yeah, I I hated her. <laughs> I, I don't know if you'll agree with me, but the the second like third of this movie is not even science fiction. Yeah, I'll agree. Like, they get to this place where fucking Pygar is living, and it's based... The movie just stops being a science fiction movie and becomes a fantasy movie, really. Yeah, it's it's like the Pygar thing is... It's really... Especially given that he has... The thing with Pygar is that he's basically like Icarus, and he has like a dad figure who's supposed to be like Daedalus, I guess. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like the whole thing about, like, you know, Icarus and him is flying out of the labyrinth and Pygar has wings and such. So you get some allusions to that and it's strange. I agree. And to me, that's one of those things that, having read a lot of comic books, that's kind of one of the hodgepodge ideas that comic books of that time, like science fiction ones like to do, where you kind of match mythology and science fiction and, and just kind of other elements of fiction and myth together to kind of mm-hmm. make this bastardization of a sort of aesthetic. But no, I'll totally agree with you. There really isn't any science fiction in that middle portion of the film. Sorry, and I wanted to, wanted to quickly go back to this, where you said this movie came out the same year as yes. 2001 and Planet of the Apes. I'll say this, though. I don't think that this movie was trying to be philosophical or cerebral. I think it was just supposed to be, for lack of a better word, just fun. But... There were lots of times in this movie where I wasn't having fun. Uh, And one thing that really bothered me while watching this movie is that sometimes, like, there are a few action sequences in this film. And sometimes the sequences are so um, suggested I I was confused as to what was happening. Uh, Mm. For example, when goddamn Pygar and Barbarella were flying out of the uh, labyrinth towards a city, there were these kind of robots. They were, like, made out of leather or whatever. 
um, in airplanes following them. And then you would see like Barbarella or whoever shoot at them. And then the next scene, you would just see something explode. You wouldn't see you wouldn't see what it was that was exploding. Just there was an explosion. Yes. And that there there were things like that that happened like all throughout the movie where things were so suggested i was just confused like when she's flying through space and then she goes from green bubbles to red fire i'm like what okay all right well another thing and a and it's the thing with the comparison 2001 and planet of the Apes, obviously not completely fair obviously those are two more ambitious films but I think the idea there is that science fiction at that time, given that that year was so, it's almost like 2001 and Planet of the Apes kind of represent what science fiction should be and is the future. And then Barbarella is kind of the stuff that you need to leave behind. Because mm-hmm. it's not just in narrative and stuff. It's also in special effects. Like, whenever Barbarella is flying in space, there's they don't really choose to depict space normally. It's like this weird lava lamp effect. It's kind of like when you look into a microscope and, like, you put some some drops of some solution on a slide and it's just kind of amorphous and blobbing yeah. around. And it doesn't look good. The sequence early in the film when Barbarella is trying to navigate the magnetic storm, I was just relying on what she said because I had no idea what was <laughs> happening on screen. It didn't make any right. sense. Um, and not just that, I think there's some, like, production value that is lacking here. Um, if we want to talk about costuming, Barbarella has like eight costumes in this movie. None of them are particularly good. Um, they're all very flat- I disagree again. I, I, I think they're very flattering to Jane Fonda's figure, but I don't think there's many good costumes here. I kind of like the costume early on with that kind of had like a robot look. Kind of reminded me of, I don't know, sort of like an exoskeleton. But mm-hmm. like every, 20, every 10 minutes, Jane Fonda is given an excuse to put on a new costume and some of them they have that sort of like 60s hippie slash sci-fi look but i don't know i just wasn't really impressed by it especially given that a lot of the set there are some good set pieces in terms of like technology and stuff like that but like the shag carpet ship and like the ice planet i don't think some of i don't think a lot of the sets are particularly good looking they look pretty cheap Mm. i'll and and i'll say the same thing for the labyrinths as well um I think it's hilarious when they first enter the labyrinth or when Barbarella first enters the labyrinth and all these people are just sort of walking around like naked and zombified. <laughs> and yeah. it, it was funny to me because I I think I was supposed to be sort of horrified by it, but it was just kind of like a bunch of... It just felt like weird. It just felt like people walking around in weird costumes doing weird things. There's this lady that looks like a Thundercat in it. I don't know. It was funny. The, yeah, the movie is supposed to impress you visually that's kind of its thing like it's not supposed to be cerebral it's supposed to impress you and just be awe-inspiring but for most of the movie i was just like uh okay um there were a few times where they actually had some interesting visuals my favorite thing from this movie by far is when barbara finally gets into the city she just walks into this room and there's this giant fucking hookah with the man swimming around what sorry no, sorry, I was just going to say, I I had that written down too. I, I did like that part. Go ahead. I love that. And she was like, what are you smoking? And they're like, the essence of man. And I don't know if they were just, you know, smoking the his axe deodorant off of his body or what. Um, but I, that was like the coolest thing for me. Other than that, there's a scene where she gets uh, abducted by this gang of twins they're just all kids and they're twins. And then they set out these like dolls to bite her because like the dolls are alive or, and they have like, or robots, whatever. And they have like this huge chomp and like razor sharp metal teeth. And they just bite at her. That was cool. Um, but there isn't a whole lot of interesting sci-fi visuals in my opinion. No, I agree. Um, I would say like the most interesting design aesthetically is actually the city's inhabitants this movie as i mentioned earlier has like very strong sexual themes i did not expect it to be like that at all i actually had no idea that it was just a classic space adventure 
So I think it's interesting when they get into the city and it almost has like this weird industrial BDSM feel where there's people wearing chains and spikes and stuff. In that mm-hmm. hookah room, they just have a naked woman hung up in like this yes. weird bondage. I really like that idea, especially because the city is meant to, the city of Sogo is meant to be inhabited underneath by a sort of evil entity that feeds off evilness. So I kind of mm-hmm. like that idea. It, 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 it almost felt like another mythological idea that they added, but I sort of like the idea of the bad city that they had that was kind of kind of dark and rogue in that way. So that was one idea that I, I enjoyed. I don't know if it's, that's more of an aesthetic choice, I suppose, than I, an idea, but yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of other things I could... Oh, the sound is kind of weird. Like, it has a... Maybe it was the copy that I watch because every time we pick a movie to watch, I go down to one of my numerous DVD stores here in my city and I go out and I buy a legal copy of this movie and then I watch it uh, because I have such a wide and great selection of movie stores that offer a wide variety of movies. And then you donate it to charity, right? And then I donated to charity afterwards. So on my copy, I mean, the audio, it had, maybe this is just a 60s and 70s thing, but like the dubbing is just so bizarre. Yeah. No, where, yeah. The dubbing is is pretty poor. Yeah. Like it's clearly like dubbed. And this is the thing you get in a lot of uh, movies in this era, I feel, where you just, I don't know if it was just because the sound I don't know what the reason is that they just had this dub. I don't know if dubbing has got better and I don't even notice it in movies, which is probably the case. But yeah, you'll have characters muttering something. There's a couple times when it seems like a character saying something else and they're dubbed over with different lines, which is pretty mm-hmm. noticeable. It wasn't as big to me as, for example, The Gods Must Be Crazy, where the dubbing was a little more detrimental to my enjoyment of the film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think the big thing for me in this movie is that as the movie goes on, it becomes less and less a sci-fi, and I am a fan of science fiction, and the writing of it is just really, it's it's weak, it's just, yeah. and I, I want to talk about this now, I don't really care that Barbarella is like, I don't know what you would say, like ditzy, or and yeah. that she has like sex in this movie, that doesn't really bother me, the first time it's really funny, like this guy rescues her because her ship crashed and then she is attacked by the twins and then this guy comes in rescues her and brings her back to her ship or whatever and she's like oh thank you like what can i do to repay you and he's like you can make love to me and she was like make love and she's like okay if you need to and then she like takes out these pills and he's like what are you doing and she's like well we have stopped like physically making love because it's inefficient and uh, blah 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 they just take pills on earth now and hold hands and come or whatever um <laughs> yeah as we and, see later in the film that's basically what they do yeah uh and then he was like well i'm not i i, I want to do it the old-fashioned way and she's like Ugh, if you need to and then so that was fine whatever it was funny like when she explains how they have sex now on earth she uses you know just uh sci-fi lingo just makes a positronic cum or whatever (laughs) (laughs) i swear to god she says psychogram or some shit like that yeah that's probably the best way to put it um no the thing with the sex in the movies i i just didn't really expect it to be that way so it's kind of a big shock for me it's a shock for two reasons number one because this movie features sex and and like nudeness so heavily that it f- actually feels like in like in like something that would be in a different kind of theater than the theaters that this probably played in at the time and yeah. also because when i did research for this film that barely came up and i don't know if this was something of the norm at the time if they had sort of these titillating pictures i guess but i don't know it just threw me off balance she she sleeps with this guy. She sleeps with Pygar. Um, we don't actually. It doesn't actually depict any sort of lovemaking. It's all off camera. In fact, the most intimate they get on camera, she gives a quick peck to Pygar, which is also another strange thing. It feels like a movie that was repurposed into a blockbuster in that way. But um, I think I think I guess the sort of 
sexual theme um, sort of gets better for me, especially when she gets to the city. Um, and I guess the theme there is like some sort of domination thing. I don't know. It 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 was a weird it was a weird surprise to me. It didn't detract from my enjoyment of the film, but I mean, given that not a lot of good things happened in this film, it was kind of annoying to have that happen like four times in the movie. These elaborate seduction scenes, or you know, like some dude asking Barbarella to have sex. The best sexual related thing I'll say in this movie is at towards the end when Duran Duran is has captured her and she he puts her in this machine um and it's a pleasure machine Mm -hmm. and the machine is just designed to pleasure you until you die Mm -hmm. i thought that was kind of funny and then she lives and then he's like oh my god you are like a creature he's like yeah he's like oh my god you broke my machine and she's (laughs) like oh that was a good time uh it was funny i don't know but um, it's as if, you know, it, and the thing with this film is that it's a sci-fi film, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not even really sci-fi action because there's very scarce action in the film, I felt. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's sort of just kind of like a sci-fi adventure with not a lot happening in the movie. Yeah, like for this movie to like achieve what it wants to be, which is just really campy sci-fi there it needed to be like more over the top yeah um which kind of demands more money but uh i don't know it just needed to be a bit more like i i thought this movie was gonna be a flash gordon with yeah. the with a woman that has sex or whatever but that's, it, that's it, yeah exactly it wasn't really no it was just when well, we got what we got um, and before we continue on, I wanna I wanna stop you because I you, earlier you talked shit about my guy Pygar. He's my second favorite character in this movie. Pygar is this guy, and he's just a really he's just a handsome guy wearing a bird diaper and has big wings, <laughs> and he's he's also like a lost toddler. Um, he's blind. Um, and he kind of just looks blankly ahead all of the time with the same expression on his face. And he says things in the funniest tone of voice. It's so matter-of-factly, I don't think any emotion was expressed at all. I kind of liked him. He was just fun as, like... He was fun as, a like, a nice damsel in distress for when he gets captured a couple of times and Barbarella has to go after him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Barbarella seems to be, like, inexpl- inexplicably in love with this guy, even though he's... He's basically a blank slate of human being, but no, I just thought I, whenever he spoke, I, I just found it amusing. Um, he, I can't tell if he's trying to go for uh, just a sort of no emotion, sort of I'm an otherworldly creature deal, or if he's trying to be like over the top, like Greek dramatist kind of deal. So it's kind of weird that way. Pygar is cool, I'll say that, and you know what? His name's not too bad either. Uh, his name sucks and his character sucks and heard <laughs> Pygar 50 goddamn times. Um, <laughs> I'll say that when uh, Py- whenever Pygar's flying, it doesn't look too good. I'll say that. It looks so bad. It like, looks... he's flapping his wings once every, like, 10 seconds and his wings aren't synced up. Like, one will move closed and then the other will be slightly behind it. And I swear to God, there's a couple shots where it'll cut away from Pygar and Barbarella flying in the sky because Barbarella is her eyes in the in his are his eyes in the sky because he can't see. Where it looks like they turn the fan off for a second and then they turn it back on and then her hair is blowing again. Yeah, um, it's pretty bad. This is just an, another example of of what is supposed to be, I guess, sort of a visual wonder of a film. Uh, where the effects do not hold up at all, uh, looks pretty pretty bad. Especially, and like, sorry, go ahead. No, and I was just gonna say there's and and one scene in particular where Pygar is falling and passes out, and then he just wakes up and then mm-hmm. just stops. It, it, I was laughing. I was laughing in that scene. Yeah, um, there are some like I think one or two moments where they're flying, and she says like, "Shoot over there." 
and then he just shoots, and I was like, wait, what? Shoot over there. He can't, he can't see. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't really... I guess the only reason they had this plot line, and it's funny when, because early in the film, he says my eyes have been destroyed, but his eyes are fine, and he moves them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they just had him not have eyes because then he wouldn't be... He, then he would be able to do things on his own. Um, yeah. It's just that was just a weird a weird oversight. I don't know. There was a bit there was some comedy in this movie and I think almost every time they tried to be comedic it like paid off for me. Um one thing that was really funny was near the end where she gets rescued by this cage full of budgies which I was supposed to take seriously. And <laughs> I I was thinking uh, this was Every time I saw when I saw that scene, I was thinking of Luke's bird Tabasco. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll put him on the cop Instagram page for you guys to see. But just imagine a bunch of Tabascos trying to eat Barbarella alive. That was hilarious. Um, and then she gets rescued by um, God, that little dude from the South Park movie who wants to make the revolution or whatever. Anyways, um, and then he was like, oh, an Earth woman. I've been waiting all my life to try this. And he pulls out the pill to have uh, their, you know, positronic sex. And then she was like, oh, can we do it your way? Like, I don't want to mess with your, you know, traditions or anything. And which was just funny because now she she likes it the old fashioned way. Um, and then he's like, no, let's do it this way. And she's like, fine. And then like when they have their uh cybernetic come they like their hair goes frazzled and they shake and barbarella comes first uh which was hecka funny and and then um uh, it's just funny that like um she she cooms and then she like fixes her hair and then the dude is still like sitting there with his hand out um and then she she's like oh shoot and then holds his hand and then he finishes and uh, that was just funny they basically had this idea and i can appreciate the setup and i did i think a lot of the comedy derives from that character i think his name is like is dildon or it's dildano Mm -hmm. if you want if you want a name that fits the theme of the movie um he he he's kind of he i don't know he reminded me of like a monty python character yes Um, i think I was about to say, I, I feel like they set up that whole weird lovemaking thing just so they could have that funny joke in the movie. Where they I think can, so, too. Where they can explicitly depict something happening, but they can't depict it because it's 1968. Um, so that was fun. There's a couple moments when he tries, to open, he tries to open the door or tries to get some things working, and they don't. And it just kind of highlights, I guess, like the, the uh, shoddiness of the rebellion that he has going. Mm-hmm. He was a good. He Dildano's a good guy, and Pygar's also a good guy. Those are good guys. Yeah, I mean, all I, I I don't have a whole lot more to say, but like other than I I don't know if I've already said this, but I think Duran Duran is a is a bit of a he leaves quite a bit to be desired. And like I say that as in near the end of the movie. They kind of just rush to the finish line where Duran Duran just locks um, Barbarella in the room with the queen in her like dream chamber or whatever. And then he takes over as king and then he dies three minutes later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was, uh... and he didn't even get to put his crown on, which kind of sucks. No. Um, you know what? He... There's, there are a couple things that I actually want to say extra. Um, sound design in this film, because there are some sound effects here. I actually kind of liked it. They're very kind of cheesy. Mm-hmm. They range from like just your typical sort of sci-fi bleep blue blah blah blah. But then there's some inspired ones. Like when, uh, when Duran Duran is threatening Barbarella, one of his um, guards w- w- cracks his whip. And in the whip crack, you can hear a woman scream. And then they what also... What was that? That was that was just an inspired sound design design choice, I suppose. I guess that was it. Okay, because um, at first I thought when they were whipping, like a kid was get, being whipped or something. 
That's what I thought. That's what I saw initially too, because that's what happens in the first scene. But I suppose they just have a sound effect of screaming for uh, increased dread. Kind of yeah. Um, there's also also like when um, when Dildano's calling um, Duran Duran, I think it is, or he's calling no, he's calling somebody. I think he's calling the professor back at her ship in the labyrinth. Um, and then when he and this is another good comedic moment, he tries to turn off the phone, but then it just starts playing opera music. Uh, mm-hmm. and he's fumbling and then Barbarella just switches it off for him. There's some interesting stuff like that. And I did mention earlier, I like the score. Um, you get some like lounge type songs for most of the film. If you're looking for sort of like an ambient sci-fi trend soundtrack, look elsewhere because this film is like just every, most of the songs in this film reminded me of the theme song for like a sixties game show. Where it's kind of like, you know, how it is, sort of bouncy. Yeah, psychedella. It's just, so actually, in terms of sound, I kind of liked the movie. It was kind of, I think that was one of the more endearing elements to me, even though some of the cheesier stuff fell flat. I'll agree that there were a few funny moments in the film they pay off i think feel like i feel like this movie would have been better if it just went for full comedy um maybe at the end of the day because when the jokes did happen i was uh i was amused by them and i think that more jokes could have made this a bit more of a winner um i wanted to note the scene which is which i thought was funny where when Barbarella is flying with Pygar, her guns run, gun runs out of ammo. So she, she puts her her gun in his crotch, and she reaches far down. And you get that some, was so weird. That was strange. You get Peter pubic hair, and I was really not ready for that. Um, and you're and you're wondering why she did that. And then later on, when she's uh, Pygar is str- like crucified by the queen, uh, she gra- she goes up her, his pants and grabs the gun. So there's a literal Chekhov's gun there, I guess. Um, yeah, I thought it, I just thought it was funny when he she puts it in his pants inexplicably for no reason, like she didn't have pockets <laughs> to put it in. When no, really. not in his little bird diaper. Um, another funny scene that I forgot to highlight. And it was kind of horrifying. The first time they're in the labyrinth, um, and Barbarella commands Pygar to pick up the gun in front of him and shoot a guard. It was so unintentionally funny <laughs> because Pygar, first of all, Pygar acts like a kid, so. She's like, shoot him. And then she, he fires. And then it goes to the guard. And for two seconds, he's just standing there. And then he explodes. Yeah. And it was, it was so... I actually laughed out loud. It was, like, very unintentionally funny. I thought it was, like, a vaporizer gun. But then they explain, I suppose, to keep your conscience clean, that they're just leathermen, whatever that means, which are not real mm-hmm. people. Um, I don't know. I thought that was cool. And they used that effect a couple of times later in the film. Um. But there's some there's some enjoyable stuff here there in between. It's not exactly the movie I expected, I guess, uh, and for that I was disappointed to a great degree. But there's uh, some silver lining, and not just to her costumes. Zing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, let's go zinger alert. Hey, oh, we got jokes. All right, you got anything else you'd like to say about this movie? Uh, no. Uh, I did really, yeah, I like the queen. I like the queen's horn on her head, too. That was weird. Um, like that dog from Star Trek. And that was exactly what I thought. And this probably <laughs> this probably was filmed, like, the same year as that episode. Which, which season was that? Uh, I think that was season one. Oh, yeah. that was a naked, uh, the naked time, I'm pretty, or no, it wasn't. Uh, that oh shoot, which even one was a that? Real that tre- was season one. Are you even a real Trekkie man? That was the episode where they beam up a fake, uh, a doppelganger of Kirk, and he's evil. Was that Mirror Mirror? If I can remember this, that'll be embarrassing. Cause no, that's not Mirror Mirror. Shit, let me find it real quick. Go ahead. Um. Okay, Mirror Mirror was the one where they had the alternate dimension. Oh god. Oh god. Oh god. Uh. Oh yeah, one thing I'll add while Luke looks that up. I did enjoy also the dreams, not the dream sequence. She enters this dream chamber where the queen sleeps where she's only supposed to have access. And you get more of like that lava lamp microscope effect. But it it sort of fits the mood in that scene because it's supposed to be kind of this dream-like wonderland. 
And it kind of makes me wish the movie had a little more influence from Psychedelia, especially since they mentioned it in the theme song and because the band that play that did the vocals for this was a psychedelic renowned psychedelic band at the time. But um yeah, oh well. I think there's a little bit of lost potential in this thing. I think this is one of those films that is due for a remake and apparently a remake has been kicking around since like the eighties. Um, yeah, it ain't happening. I think I think it could happen. They reboot everything now. And I don't say I that I hate Hollywood. And I, I was gonna say I don't say it in that way, but I I just think that it's given enough time, Barbarella will be reboot rebooted. Give it ten years. It's gonna happen in the next ten years. You wanna bet? No bet. Just like that other bet that we won't say on air that we have that I'm definitely gonna win. Well when I win I'll tell you we'll tell everybody about the bet. We'll see. Uh, the episode is uh, The Enemy Within. It's the sixth or fifth episode of the first season. If you count, if you're a thinking man and you count the cage, it is the sixth episode. All right, here's the uh, mandatory Star Trek uh, illusion that we will have for the rest of the show because we are now Red Letter Media. No, we're not. Never mind. We're almost Star Trek. <laughs> it's okay, buddy. We know you love Star Trek. The funniest thing was last week after the show, Luke... Or no, during the show, Luke said um, something to the effect of, I don't even like Star Trek that much. That was maybe the biggest cope I've heard in a long, long time. I could not believe he said that. We. I don't like it that much. It's relative. And I, when I said well, that much, I was referring to like super fans. Like you don't like it that much as compared to how much you love uh, life. Star Wars. Whatever, man. This is, uh, you know, it's just funny. I think I think if you'll meet Lucas. Laugh it up, Buzzball. I laugh, and I think if you'll meet Lucas, you'll find that um, him saying that he's not even that big of a fan of Star Trek is uh, is hilarious. I'm not a nerd. Kaylin certainly thought so, friend of the show. Whatever. So you want to get straight to bags, eh? How many four bags are you giving it? You want me to go first? Uh, you go first or I go first? I'll go first. I'm giving this two bags. What? Yeah, two bags. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, okay. I I didn't. What did my critique not fit my rating? Uh, no, that no, I no, that's fine. I'm giving this two bags because I was thinking about this. I won't watch this again, um, unless I'm under the influence of any drug. Yeah. Um, and the movie didn't really make me think, and there was I was probably bored for forty minutes or more of the film. So this is a two-bagger. I'll say that if you're curious, check it out. It's only an hour and a half, so it's it's not that big of a time kill. But uh, yeah, this one, as a, as a, a f- another reviewer says, yeah, it's not good. How many bags? Can you, you? guess what I'm gonna give it? Yeah, I'll say a six or seven. It's six. Yeah, so that sounds about right. Yeah. This one did out of ten. This one did not impress me. Of the films that I've made Lucas watch with great sexual overtones, very low on the list. <laughs> uh, on the extensive list of films that I've showed him, and that's only if half a wa- joke. If you want to find something funny, just look up John Wayne's opinion of uh, Midnight Cowboy. You know what, John. John Wayne was pissed because in that movie, Ratso Rizzo says, and I quote, um, John Wayne is a fag. I actually can't quote that. I actually can't quote that verbatim, but he says something to that effect. And then um, Joe Buck is like, what? You telling me that uh, John Wayne is that way? No way. Oh, and, it's, and another thing that's funny is that they were nominated. They were competing for the Oscar. And I'm pretty sure John Wayne won that year. For the movie that he died for from cancer for? I, I don't think it was The Conqueror. I'm going to double check. <laughs> he was Conqueror was what, like late 70s? Big Lebowski's back on Netflix. Yeah. Maybe it's, uh, well, now, whoa, now it's back on Netflix. Now we can finally watch it again. I've been waiting. Couldn't find it in the video store. 
Yeah, all the great video stores that we have. We, you know what? Shout out to uh, what's that video store we we go to a couple times? Oh, uh, oh, I know the one you're talking about. I forgot the name. Uh, YTS. <laughs> no, not Yiffy, not Pirate Bay. Oh, uh, which one? Uh, I'm gonna shout them out because they had a nice selection of Blu-rays. I picked up a nice, uh, like bookish edition of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, I know what you're talking about. I was thinking of something else. Okay, yeah. Where? What is the name here? I'm on Google Maps, guys. Just give me a second. Where the lady was eavesdropping on a conversation and then butted in about Sam Raimi. All right. Well, I won't. I'll say. I'll say. Rather than the way Luke put it, I'll say that they make you feel like you're at home there. And the place is and called. And then she she okay zoomered me when I said, "Oh, is that a laser disc?" And she said, "Wow, I'm so surprised. You know what that is." <laughs> You know what? It's okay. When I applied at HMV when I was fifteen, they before they went under and they didn't hire me, so no wonder they went under. They asked me to name all four Beatles, and I did. And the guy taking my resume and the customer he was serving could not believe that I did that. And I have to say, they this, did that to me too when I applied. This is ageism, okay? Yeah. You know, maybe if you asked somebody else. You know, maybe, maybe, you know, if you ask my dad and he's a boomer, he can name one of them. He can name one beetle. He didn't give a damn. Uh, Let me see if I can find the movie here that I'm talking about. Oh, it was for True Grit. You got a copy of True Grit? No, uh, John Wayne won Best Actor for True Grit uh, over over John Voight as Joe Buck and... I think Dustin Hoffman was nominated as best actor as well because it was like a, they were co-leads, so he kind of yeah. got the last laugh there. All right, uh, next week THX one one three eight, and then after that uh, they live. THX. Uh, fun fact: I just saw on the filmography page John Wayne is in Star Wars the f- original, as a voice. John Wayne is a voice. In Star Wars, yeah, I just saw. Um, I'm on a, It says he's Garandan. Let me fact check this. G A R I N D A N. That's hilarious. So, Look at the character if he can. He looks like those plague doctors. Uh, I'm on the IMDb for the cast. I'm not seeing John Wayne. Well, he plays like a super minor character. Do you know how many people are in Star Wars? Yeah, but the IMDb page is pretty... Well, let me... Okay. Look up John Wayne Star Wars. Oh my god, Jesus. It says here, he provided the voice of Imperial spy Garandan in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope via stock audio, making this his last role in a film before his death. Oh, he's him? Yeah, if you're wondering who this guy looks like, it looks like a plague doctor. He doesn't a, talk though. Had a baby with Doctor or uh, Mister Snuffleupagus. I, doesn't he call? Is he the guy who calls on the phone? Yeah, but he doesn't say words. But he says like, does he say like Gerber group? No, it's like it's like a weird buzzing noise. Look it up. Well, I know. I, it, the character's name is just the Imperial Spy. I'm pretty sure. In the credits. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, probably not even credited. George Lucas didn't even credit um, um, James Earl Jones in the credits. That's hilarious. James Earl Jones is that character now. People And and, and David Prowse obviously deserves respect, but people don't even know who he is. Like, if you ask your average casual Star Wars fan, they don't know who that is. Oh, wait, sorry. No, he is Garen. The character's name is Garen Dan, but I'm pretty sure in, like, the script or whatever he was just called the imperial spy ah, and i even now nah, you know what i like star wars 77 even more now all right um and and last thing before we go i have to condemn ben shapiro's star wars ranking list absolutely awful forest awakens under attack of the clones that has to be a joke that has to be a joke I I am the only one with the true Star Wars ranking. Okay, hit us. No, that we'll we'll keep we'll keep that one on the bench. <laughs> For what? For the uh, Star Wars the, episode? Yeah, when we do a do, uh, commentary track over Empire Strikes Back. 
We won't. We'll, if anything, we'll do it over 77. 77 definitely will fit the cult label more than this, more than Empire, because A, it started the cult, and B, nobody knew at the time Star Wars wasn't a big franchise, and because it has a bunch of Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture, which Empire does not. Whatever, man. Yeah, you can say whatever, and uh, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, John, Wayne's voice was processed greatly. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. All right. They just gonna they just kind of manipulated it until you couldn't hear him anymore. Basically, then. Interesting. Okay. Well, I'm gonna head off. All right. Another episode um, of Cop coming at you laser fast. Out of like a po- positron rays. Boom. Zap. Pow. Uh, take care of yourselves. Eat a fuzzy peach. We are sponsored by Maynards. Um, actually, I think that's illegal for me to say. We are not sponsored by Maynards. Please shout, sponsor us. Shout out to Hershey's. Uh, they're not sponsoring us in any way at all, but uh, they released these new ice cream bars. I had the birthday cake bar. Uh, actually, pretty good. You know, it's a nice snack to have on the go. Tuck one of those in your pocket, in your jacket pocket, and, uh, you know, when you're feeling peckish out on the town. You just snack up one of those, and uh, you're back. You're back on the saddle, you know. You know what? We're not sponsored by them either, but I want to give a big thank you to the Coca-Cola family. <laughs> um, always Coca-Cola. Uh, you know, they're basically technically sponsors of the show because the U of M, I don't think, would would run without uh, Coca-Cola's funding. If you're if you're if you're a student who's been on the U of M campus, you'll understand. Um, it's basically Coke University. But by God... I'm trying to find if there's a Pledge of Allegiance to Coca-Cola we can read <laughs> off. Um, just sing the Mac Tonight theme song. It's Mac Tonight! Oh, yeah. I pledge the allegiance to my Coca-Cola, for which it stands, one company, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I like their their slogan now. What is their slogan? Taste the feeling. Oh, who cares? Open happiness it used to be. Coca-Cola, if you're listening, hey, keep it coming. Yeah, you know what? Hey, you know what? I'm going to say this, Coke. You get a, you got to release a competitor for the brisk iced tea. Because when you can get a king can of that for like a dollar, and it's only 100 calories, and you get a cool artwork thing on the cover you know i they're having a hard time beating that i can't drink coke zero forever let me say this coke you're doing something good when you're saving the polar bears while being the world's largest litter contributor i really appreciate that you're doing Uh, something great for those bears let me say something to coke real quick lucas did not mean that he was just joking um you know we love Coke, we love America, we love multinational beverage corporations, um, especially when they're headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia. And yeah, that's all I have to say. What do, why did the Coca-Cola family make Fanta again? Uh, just, you know, ration issue, supply issues in World War II. It's not, don't look too much into it. Okay. Fanta was created during World War Two in Nazi. What? No, you no, you know what? Like Coca Cola. Okay. Um, because of the. Hey, you know Fanta. It's a good drink. You know, you know. There's a you know a great movie quote and a great man once said. I realize now the circumstances of one's birth is irrelevant. It's what one does with their <laughs> life. That defines who they are, and I, I was that Gandhi. I think that, that was either Gandhi or Martin Luther King. Might have been Jesus, and I. Those are words to live by. All right, I'm heading out. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna go play RuneScape until my eyes bleed. I'm gonna go um, stare at the wall in my bedroom until the next episode of the show. All right, have fun.
So I'll see you guys next time. We're doing the George Lucas film that's not Star Wars and not American Graffiti and not Raiders, if you count that. And not that shitty one he put out and that was animated a couple years ago and all the other crap he's made. It's the like one of the is that his first film? Yeah, other that which was based off his based off his student film. Okay. All right, so THX one one three eight next week. This one will probably be good. Yeah. Uh, it was produced by Francis Ford Coppola, so I mean, you know, hey, it's gotta be good. All right. All right, I'm shutting your butt down. All right, Luke's uh, heading out for the fifth time. It's been a good time. I'll see you guys later. Okay, bye.